Well, Marty has uh, asked me to speak today about corporate worship, and I thought, my goodness, that's a, that's a difficult one. Do, how, how, do I, how do I approach that? Do I, do I talk about styles of worship? Hmm, that's going to cause problems. Do I talk about, what do I talk about? Well, Psalm 16, if you had to sum up Psalm 16 in one word, that word would be happiness. It's what everybody wants. And the question is, are people looking in the right place? Much of what passes for happiness is here today and gone tomorrow. Where can we find the happiness that the psalmist describes as joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand? Well, the answer, of course, is in God. It's about the last place that, that most people would think of, of looking. But what we do here together on a Sunday has got a lot to do with us. Now, you've already looked uh, as part of uh, Marty's mini-series, New Year, New Old Habits. You've already looked at the habits of prayer and Bible intake. And corporate worship is another good habit. Um, I'll come back to Psalm 16 uh, in a minute or two. Before we get to that as a leader, and I want to flag up the importance of belonging to a congregation. One of the features of Western Christianity is floating, the floating Christian, almost everywhere else in the world. Being a Christian means being connected to a local body of Christians. But in this part of the world, there are Christians who move in and out of churches without any identity, without any accountability, and without any commitment. It's a direct expression of Western individualism. Christians, some of them, don't seem to realize that the Christian life is about belonging. As far as Paul was concerned, belonging to a church was like being an organ in a living body. And any organ that's detached from the body will not only miss what it was created to be, but will also shrivel and die. And the same is true of Christians who are not committed to a specific congregation. Another picture Paul uses is that of a family. Ephesians 2, 19, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. Living Bible says, members of God's very own family. And a Christian without a church family is a child without a family. Like any family, things may not always run smoothly, but in a healthy family, members care about the others and look out for them. They do life together. It's in the nature of family to belong, even dysfunctional families. And the church is exactly the same. We need to belong. And there are many benefits, many benefits. One is identity. Belonging identifies us as Christian. Part of God's own family gives us roots, significance, purpose. Another benefit is encouragement, support and encouragement as we face life's problems. The church family stands with us, prays for us, encourages us. And a major benefit is spiritual help. Worship services every week to help us focus on Jesus Christ and to prepare us for the week ahead. Bible teaching to strengthen us and help us apply biblical principles to our lifestyles. 
There are lots of benefits. And there are responsibilities. And one is to support the life of the congregation. And one of the best ways to do this is by regular church attendance. Now, of course, it isn't always possible. Work demands, shift patterns, family responsibilities, illnesses, holidays, lots of things can intervene. But it is possible most of the time. We should be known as good attenders, faithfully supporting the worship services every week. For it not only benefits us, it helps the church's witness in the area. The church exists for non-members. It's in the business of connecting with people round about, going out to them, inviting them to come in, in the hope that when they come, they will feel welcome and want to come back. Regular church attendance is key to developing the sort of welcoming church life and warmth that matters. Now, what's this got to do with Psalm 16? Where's the connection? Well, the happiness Psalm 16 talks about, the happiness that's found in God is what should be at the heart of church services Sunday by Sunday. Regular church attendance isn't just about turning up, although that helps, of course. It isn't just about spending an hour or so doing stuff about Jesus, whether it's songs or prayers or readings or sermons or whatever. It's about together connecting with God, listening to God, talking to God, enjoying God, worshiping God. This is what corporate worship is about and why regular church attendance is important. It's about joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's not all about heaven. I'll, I'll get to heaven before the end of the sermon, but it's not all about that. The joy in your presence is about here and now. It's about now. The eternal pleasures begin in this life and go on through the next, but they begin here. Now, you wouldn't think from verse 1 that there's much happiness around in Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge which tells us immediately that happiness is not necessarily connected to the absence of trouble. This psalm is called a miktam. A little footnote at the bottom of my, the page in my Bible says that it's probably a literary or a musical term, but a number of commentators point out its connection with a word that means to cover, and they suggest that it means the covering of the lips in silence, a silent prayer, meaning it's dangerous to pray openly and loudly, implying the presence of danger, the presence of danger. Yet you don't read very far before you realize that this doesn't mean he isn't happy. He is happy, truly happy. His joy is not affected by his current circumstances, which is a great lesson about the gospel. True happiness is not dependent on outward circumstances. It takes us straight into the New Testament, doesn't it? Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then there's that list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And some of those are pretty hairy things. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall any of these things? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, David's in a bit of a pickle, as he often is, but in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing, and it certainly doesn't affect his grounded sense of happiness, his appreciation that there's absolutely nothing Nothing that can affect the joy and eternal pleasures he possesses in God. That's a challenge to us immediately, isn't it? And the rest of the psalm spells out how this relates to corporate worship. Verses 2 to 6, you've got the importance of, of, of public worship. Every verse is about connecting with God. Verse 2 is an amazing verse. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. What? I'd read that again. It's an astounding verse. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Wow. No matter what is going on in our lives, it's about finding our well-being in God. When we join together with others around God's word and praise together and pray together, we see more clearly the one who is all our joy. Too many try to find happiness in the pursuit of the pleasures and vanities that are all around us, but real happiness is found in turning from these things to seek and find our good in God. Verse 3 is about where we find our friends. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. That's a great way to talk about our friends, isn't it? We find our friends among those who share our views about God. Since we delight in God, we delight also in those who love God. Now, that's not to say, of course, that we shouldn't have friendships with people who are not Christians. How are we ever going to engage in sensible relational evangelism unless we take the time to make and keep good friendships with all sorts of people? Christians need to be out there in the real world, mixing with all sorts of folk, being salt and light, and being normal, regular people. Of course they do. Yet at the same time, Christians know that no matter how good our friendships may be with non-Christians, at the end of the day, the bonds of kinship with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ will always be deeper and stronger and more lasting. So next to fellowship with God himself, we value that fellowship more than anything else. The fellowship we find when we come together in worship, like-minded people who love Jesus, finding their joy in Jesus and knowing that everybody else is doing the same and we love each other in him. It's where we find our friends. It's why it's important. Verse 4 is about how we approach worship. We will not take the names of other gods in our lips. We know that those who exchange the true and living God for other gods will have great trouble. Their sorrows will increase, it says. So we will have nothing to do with idolatry, for that's incompatible with love for the Lord Jesus. So we're jealous for God's glory, jealous for the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. We'll have nothing to do with today's idolatry of universalism, which says it really doesn't matter who or what you believe in, because God is love and he will let you into heaven anyway. Now, it doesn't matter how you live, because God really will overlook all of that, because he loves you and he'll let you in anyway. 
If this is true, why did Jesus have to die? Why is a cross the symbol of the Christian faith? Why did Jesus tell us to go and evangelize if there's no need to? Why did he give us the Great Commission? And as we worship, we articulate all of this, all the great truths about Jesus, the uniqueness of Jesus, the wonder of what he did on the cross, the gospel, the grace of God in Jesus, the wonder of God in loving us, rescuing us, redeeming us. And then verses 5 and 6 are about how we pursue our ambitions. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. God not only gives us food to satisfy our hunger and drink to quench our thirst, he also gives us himself as an inheritance. To understand the force of this, we need to remember the importance of the land as an inheritance for Israel. Land, of course, is fundamental to every society. I mean, we know this from our Irish history. But to Israel, it was even more so. It wasn't just the deep yearning in the human spirit to have a home, to be in a safe place. It was the promise of the covenant. I will be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will make you a nation, a people, and give you a name and a land. And it's a promise that comes and runs like a thread through the Old Testament. The land, the land, the land. Yet those involved in worship, the priests, were given no land as an inheritance because their inheritance was the Lord. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. Instead, they lived on Israel's tithes and offerings in the Lord. And in this way, they shared the closest fellowship with the Lord, and their inheritance was reckoned as the Lord himself. And here we read, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. What a great way to talk about what you and I possess in God, and we possess it together, and we celebrate it together in worship. We are joint heirs. It's not all yours individually or the person sitting next to you individually. We are joint heirs together of a great inheritance, Christ himself, the importance of public worship. All these things are part of what we do and flavor here in our worship. Second, Verses 7 to 11, there's four great benefits when we truly connect with God and worship. This is not a Presbyterian sermon, by the way. There's no third point, just second point. So, four, well, you could say four great benefits, so it's second, third, well, anyway. Four great benefits when we truly connect with God and worship. Verses 7 to 11. The first is guidance. Verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. It's not clear exactly what the guidance is that God gives, but the point isn't the precise advice, but the fact that we're ready to listen and ready to learn and to respond at every time. And every time we come together in corporate worship, we have the opportunity to hear God's voice. What is God saying to me? What is God teaching me? 
What does he want me to do? How does he want me to respond? How is he challenging me? You know, it, th this is a vital part of corporate worship. It's one of the great benefits that God speaks to us and guides us if we will listen. Are we listening? Second benefit is stability. Verse 8, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken, which sounds like a line from the old civil rights campaign song. In fact, it has a much more certain outcome than any political or equality campaign because it's based not on the aspirations of human beings, but on the presence of God right beside us. Every time we come together in corporate worship, we're reminded of his promise to be with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you till the end of the ages. He is with us. What stability that gives us. You know, people who drift in and out of Sunday services and don't really have that sense of belonging, we miss these sorts of things. This assurance that God is with us. Together we rejoice in the stability that he gives us because he will never leave us. And there may be lots of things we don't understand, lots of things that perplex us, lots of things we'd like to be different. But when all is said and done, we know that he is with us and he will never leave us. If we love Jesus, he is our friend and our savior forever. We don't fall in and out of salvation. He keeps us till the end and he's with us to help us and lead us and guide us and do everything for us that needs to be done. The third benefit is resurrection, verses 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now here's, here's an amazing, well it's all amazing, here's another amazing verse tucked away in the Old Testament. Centuries before it happened, here is a prediction of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter quotes this in a sermon in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Peter's point is that since David's body decayed, David wasn't prophesying about himself, but prophesying the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whose body did not decay. Christ was raised from the dead. And it's not just that his spirit was rescued from, the, from death and received into heaven. His body was also rescued. Actually, this is a really important part of the gospel. And I have to confess my disappointment and actually irritation when I go to a Christian funeral and the hope that is emphasized goes no further than the hope of heaven. I don't misunderstand me. Heaven is important, and that's great, and it's a source of great comfort. But it's not the main thing. And why is it not the main thing? Our future hope is not that our disembodied spirits will rest in peace. Our future hope is about the redemption of our bodies. It's about a new creation. It's about a new heaven, a new earth, a new body for every believer. The main thing is the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. When the dead are raised and given new bodies on the last day. It's one of the blessings of the great inheritance we have in Jesus Christ. And every time we come together in corporate worship, we're reminded that because he lives, we too will live. 
You know, why do we meet on a Sunday? Because it's the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus was raised. So corporate worship reminds us that Jesus is alive. Every Sunday, Jesus is living. Jesus is alive. And because he lives, as we trust in him, we too will live forever. We look forward to the redemption of our bodies. No more weakness. No more pain. New bodies. Complete restoration of all things. Don't, don't sell the gospel short on that point. The fourth benefit is endless happiness. Verse 11. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Here's a verse that's unsurpassed in the Old Testament in the sense of happiness that it gives. What is this joy? What are these eternal pleasures? Well, as a sample, what about these? I'm going to list a few. Pleasures such as fellowship with all the saints from all the edges, including our own loved ones in Christ, what the author William Young calls a festival of friends. What a prospect that is. Pleasures such as perfect harmony and beauty in the new creation, whether forests or fields or mountains or flowers or seas or stars or planets or birds or fish or animals or people of every tribe and language and nation. What a prospect. Pleasures such as active worship of our God and Savior in song and music and word and color and even movement. What a prospect. Pleasures such as learning and appreciating truths that we did not know. There's so much we don't know. Discovering answers to questions that have long perplexed us. And who isn't perplexed at times with life? Possessing wisdom and humility in equal measure being those in whom the fruit of the Spirit flourishes perfectly. What a prospect. Pleasures such as perfect health, restored emotions, loving relationships, personal spiritual integrity. What a prospect. Pleasures such as seeing and knowing the triune God, in his majesty and glory, our heavenly Father, full of authority, mercy, and love. Our friend and Savior, Jesus Christ, full of compassion, humility, and grace. Our comforting Holy Spirit, full of truth and strength and power. What a prospect. Could anything be better? Could anything be more satisfying? Could anything be more enjoyable? Could anything bring more happiness? Now, here's the point. Every time we come together in corporate worship, we're reminded that the best is yet to be. 
but we also have an opportunity to catch just a little glimpse of this stupendous glory. That's what worship's all about. Not about sitting and getting up and closing our eyes and feeling our back a bit in the pew or whatever. It's about God. And it's about catching some of the wonder of God and the glory of God and understanding that what He is doing is just outstandingly wonderful. And so we love Him. And so it's the best possible thing we can do to worship Him and tell Him that and enjoy Him. This is what belonging to a congregation is all about. This world isn't it. You know, the next world is it. We, we're so part of this world, we think this is where the real matter goes on. It's not. This is just the preparation. This is the anteroom. You know, I, I discover I'm now 74. What? What? I couldn't possibly be. But yes, I am. But, but, but. You know, time just whoo, whooshes past. Inside, I think I'm st- still a young fellow, but, you know. It, we need to get this sense of perspective. And God gives us these opportunities week by week to see Him catch this glimpse of who He is and be strengthened to live life for Him and be prepared to love Him forever. So there's so much change needs to take place in us. And yet God is so gracious that He's doing that, and He will do it, and He'll finish what He started. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Belonging to a congregation, the importance of public worship, the benefits of public worship, it's the best thing in the world Let's change our perspective. Let's lift our eyes. Let's grasp it. Let's use it. Let's glorify our Savior. Let's unite in prayer. Father, you are a wonderful God. We confess that our minds are too small. Our love is too weak, feeble. Father, enlarge our spirits, enlarge our hearts, enlarge our minds. Help us to see more and more of you and what you have for us. Lord, we know there are lots of problems, lots of things that perplex us, lots of things that annoy us. But Lord, thank you that you hold all the issues of everything in your hands. So Lord, teach us to trust you. Teach us to seek you. Teach us to follow you. And Lord, bless us. Bless this congregation in its worship week by week. Lord, make of us what you want, and may Jesus be lifted up for Jesus' sake. Amen.